everybody. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here along with Manny Hill. Hopefully you're enjoying this evening's football and uh, listening to us. Although I I saw that uh, Lamar Jackson, just as I was getting set up here, got hurt, which is terrible because he was having a great year. And I feel like it's been every year that he's been dealing with injuries uh, of late. And uh, that's not great for the Baltimore Ravens, but I wanted to share a quick story with you, Manny, uh, that you will appreciate before we dive into Josh Dobbs and Broncos and naming random Broncos and all the things that we're planning on doing here tonight on the show. So earlier today, I went out to TCO performance center and I sat down with our friends, Will Raggetts and Andrew Kramer, and we recorded a podcast and we had a lot of fun laughing, joking, football, great time, great time. And I get home, I sit down on my laptop and I go to pull up the audio and there's no audio. There's just a video of us talking, but no audio. Because what happened was I left the thing on mute the whole time. So we just sat in a room for no reason. And you can appreciate this as a producer, how much of a nightmare this is. And unfortunately, that was going to be tomorrow night's episode on YouTube and on the podcast feed. Uh, the the truncated version is uh, Will and Andrew think they're going to win in Denver and uh, you could figure out the rest, I guess. So I'm going to go live tomorrow night and answer fan questions uh, on Friday night in place of the usual roundtable. But that is the nightmare scenario. So I apologize that there's no round table. Well, there was one. I mean, you can watch if anyone wants the video watching us talking, but you can't hear anything. So lip readers, that episode might be for you. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's tough. And yeah, to your point as a radio producer in my own right, I've, I've been there. I've had situations like that where you record something or you, you think you have something and it's, really good content and then you listen back to it and there's the audio is like bad or in this particular case there is no audio at all um yeah that sucks man it's that's too bad if that happens so i guess you have to make up for it by going live uh, yes i i will i'll make it up to the audience who uh, is breathlessly waiting for more josh dobbs analysis uh from us uh which is what we're going to dive into first and then we've got our five favorite broncos of all time later on want to talk about russell wilson with you and your opinion there and uh something that i saw that was really interesting actually a question someone posed to our friend eric eager on twitter that i want to dive into with you as well but let, let's just get let's go hardcore here a little bit manny do you think the Broncos are good now? Like, uh, are you thinking, usually at the end of the show, I'll ask, Manny, do you think they'll win this game? And you'll say yes or no. Why don't we just start with that? Do you think they're going to win this game against the Denver Broncos? Um, I, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, we were kind of looking at the schedule and and I had this pegged down as a loss. I I think, you know, based on what we've seen from the Vikings, last couple of weeks especially last week against the new orleans saints particularly in that first half it just kind of feels like this offense is is starting to really find its groove now with josh Dobbs. and you know kevin o'connell admitted after the game that he really kind of took the foot off the pedal in the second half uh you know because there was just i don't think there was much of a belief that the saints could really come all the way back from a you know a three touchdown deficit to tie or, or win the game so he really kind of eased eased up on the pedal there in the second half. 
but that first half was so good and and Josh Dobbs was playing as about as well as you could you could ask for uh from a quarterback and and I think I'm starting to feel like that's going to continue the the Broncos defensively you know they're they're ranked 32nd in the league in like so many different defensive categories but I think a lot of that has to do with that big 70 spot that the that the Dolphins put on them early in the season uh because they gave up over like 700 yards in that game so I I do think that the defensive statistics for the Broncos are a little bit inflated because of that one game and they played what the that units played them a lot better in the last last few weeks um and you know they forced the Bills into a lot of turnovers on on Sunday night but I think with with the kind of groove that the Vikings are in offensively, I think they're going to find a way to to go down and and win. And I'm just not, I'm not sure I really buy into the Broncos being a good team again, or as good as you know they were hoping to be when they first traded for Russell Wilson, uh, you know, two off seasons ago. So uh, I think they're I think the Broncos are better than what they were last year. I think just by default because Nathaniel Hackett had no idea what he was doing. And I think Sean Payton kind of knows what he's doing, at least at this stage of his career. So I think the Broncos are better uh, than what they've been last year. But um, I still think the Vikings are are in a position where they can go down and play really well. So here's the last four weeks of opponents scoring against the Denver Broncos. They gave up 19 to Kansas City in a loss where their offense struggled. Then they gave up 17 to Green Bay in a win. Nine to Kansas City in a win and 22 to Buffalo in a win that was hysterical and ridiculous. But still, I mean, that's only one game over 20 points in the last four weeks for them after being a complete disaster for most of the season. And even when you look at opposing teams yardage against them, I mean, 369 yards for the Bills this last game, not a huge total. They got run all over in that game, but under 200 yards passing uh, Patrick Mahomes. I know he was dealing with an illness, but uh, Kansas city only went for just over 200 green Bay was under 200. And th- they have really turned it around in pretty impressive ways in the middle of the season. And it kind of speaks to when we evaluate strength of schedule, this is something that gets talked about endlessly in football. And I've always had a really tough time wrapping my own head around it because at the beginning of the season, we'll say, well, this team's got an easy schedule. And you're like, dude, halfway into the season, this thing will be blown up by four weeks from now, your stats on strength of schedule will be, will be blown up. And the same thing happens throughout the middle of a season where it's how you're playing. I mean, are the Vikings a difficult team to play? Uh, They're on their third quarterback. And yet somehow the answer is yes. And over the last two weeks, they have scored the sixth most points in the NFL. And you're absolutely right that Kevin O'Connell even admitted that he took the foot off the gas pedal and wondered aloud if he should have done that. But if they had put a little more, uh, I think, pressure on the Saints offensively, been a little more aggressive, they could have scored even more. And even then, their point totals over the last two weeks have been very good and and been emblematic of a top-notch offense, which is a tiny, tiny sample size. But it's also Atlanta and New Orleans are not these joke teams that are tanking like dude those are two teams that are fighting their for their division and now you go play another team that I think is pretty good if you're going to talk about like why the Vikings could hit a stumbling block here I think it is one that Denver is a much different version of what they've been uh, before the other thing is that Josh Dobbs has in his very small sample size of playing in the NFL 
he has had those ups and downs. He's had really good games. He's had some other games where he turns the ball over. And just in general, Manny, when a team wins five games in a row, you think that eventually they're just going to have something go wrong, right? And playing without Jordan Hicks, making that adjustment, I doubt Anthony Barr could take on a full workload if he's even going to play. It just seems like there's those factors weighing into it. Even if I think they should win, and even on paper, if I think they should win, I leave the door open to that because I'm taking the Broncos a lot more seriously than I would have three weeks ago when we had this discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and I think when when they had that 70 point game that they gave up against the Dolphins, I mean, everybody was kind of uh oh. Manny froze. Let's see if Manny comes back. Did I freeze? Let me know if I'm I back. froze in the comment section. Oh, that, oh, now he's back. Now he's back. I'm here. You're back, Manny. Okay. You just froze. For, you just froze for a second there. I don't know what happened, but you're back. So you were saying something about the Broncos. I now I forget what you were going to say. Uh, but uh, start at the beginning of whatever you were saying. Well, no, I, I think you know the Broncos have cert- certainly shown a lot of improvement. You know, because they were kind of a laughing stock when the when the Dolphins hung seventy points on them, and everybody was making fun of them. And Sean Payton, ha ha ha, doesn't know what he's doing at this point. Why did they bring Vance Joseph back to be the defensive coordinator? All of this all of this stuff. And the defense, I think, has gotten a lot better. The thing that I wonder, though, about the Broncos, and, and we'll kind of get into this with when we talk about Russell Wilson specifically, offensively, it still seems like at times they still tend to struggle. They did put up 300 yards in Buffalo on uh, on uh, Monday night. Um, but, you know, when you look at some of the games that they've had recently, it hasn't been a lot of uh, strong offensive production. The the second game against Kansas City, when they they did beat the Chiefs twenty four to nine, they you know like you said, Mahomes is dealing with that that illness. Broncos only had two hundred forty yards of offense in that game, and you still kind of wonder like when is you know I mean, and Sean Payton being the offensive mind that he is, you know, when are we going to see this Broncos offense really start to show a lot of improvement and 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 get going? and start looking the way that I think people were hoping that they would look even last year when Nathaniel Hackett was the head coach. So uh, that's kind of something I'll be looking to watch for um, on Sunday as well is, you know, what Brian Flores is going to be able to dial up defensively against Russell Wilson. And can the Broncos kind of overcome some of the offensive struggles that they've had, even though overall as a team, they've played better in recent weeks. What I'm seeing on paper with Russell Wilson is that Sean Payton has decided that he's going to treat Russell Wilson like he is a kind of backup level quarterback. And what I mean is the short passing game and the play action and mostly leaning on the run these last few weeks for Russell Wilson, it's been since week four, since the man threw for 200 yards, like what? I mean, that is not what you paid like 18 first round picks for, uh, for Russell Wilson. But in the last few weeks, he's been fairly efficient, hasn't really turned the ball over. He's only got one turnover worthy play in the last three weeks and is graded out pretty well as a top half of the league quarterback. But they are not asking him to be the old version of Russell Wilson. I think Sean Payton probably got in and was like, all right, I'm going to show how stupid Nate Hackett was. Here I go. And then after the first few weeks went, oh, well, this guy basically can't do the things that he used to be able to do. So now we're going to focus on the run game, focus on the play action game. The thing about the Vikings is over these last five weeks, 
We, of course, we're going to talk about Josh Dobbs, and that deserves to be the center story of the NFL. It's a quarterback. It's always more exciting. The run defense, again, like not making front page news on ESPN, but the run defense has been one of the best in the entire league. They have moved themselves up, despite that Philly game early in the year, into the top five in terms of yards per attempt. And that gives them a chance in any game that, Opposing teams cannot just play it safe and hand the ball off. Like they're forcing quarterbacks to beat them. And over these five weeks, none of those quarterbacks have been able to do it. Even against San Francisco, they were really excellent. And they held, uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey under four yards per carry. Very, very hard to do in Green Bay. They've got a couple of good running backs, or at least in the past, they've had times where they were good. They couldn't run the football at all. Evan Elvin Kamara has got a great history. He couldn't run the ball at all uh, for the saints. And when that's the case, uh, it gives you a really good shot. Uh, and you're going to ask now uh, Russell Wilson, I think to try to stand in there and diagnose everything that's going on. If they can continue to do that without Jordan Hicks, but that is my big concern for this game is yeah. The Vikings have really gotten back on the right side of turnover luck big time in the last five weeks. We knew that that was going to have to happen in order for them to go on a winning streak. But I think Jordan Hicks has played as well as any linebacker in the league during that time, especially considering all the things that he has to communicate to his teammates, him being out. And unfortunately on just some kind of random play where his leg hits somebody else. Uh, now you're asking an undrafted free agent, Ivan Pace, who's been very good to handle a lot though, and probably play the entire game unless you're getting Anthony Barr in there. But with the communication and the headset thing, you can't really like change the helmet to other people. You can't just, okay, Harrison Smith, take Pace's helmet. Like that's just a really hard thing to do on the fly. Uh, so that, that to me is where these things kind of line up. And, you know, Thor is bringing up, you know, it's been an emotional last couple of weeks. It feels like a trap game. I do feel that way, but I also feel like on paper, when I look at how they've performed, that I still think they're a stronger team than Denver. So I'm, I'm really conflicted going into this one. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, I had the Vikings losing this game just because for that very reason that, well, you know, the Broncos are playing a little bit better and it's a tough place to play, the altitude, all of that stuff. It's a kind of a weird, weird game at a weird time. Um, but I, I just feel like the, it, it feels like the Vikings, especially on the offensive side and defensively too, but offensively it feels like they've really got themselves into a groove now and Josh Dobbs has really settled in with the system and the scheme and, um, you know, I think if they can just limit the turnovers and and put up enough points um, and, and not put the defense into tough situations, I mean, I think that's going to be the most important thing for Josh Dobbs is, you know, you can't have you can't have the, the safety that you had in Atlanta. You can't have the, the lost fumbles and that sort of thing, because it does feel like the Broncos, you know, I mean, look no further than Monday night in Buffalo. The Broncos are kind of an opportunistic team where they'll. You know, if you give them a little bit of life, they're going to take advantage of it, even though, you know, they've had their ups and downs this year, too. So I think the most thing, most important thing is going to be just avoid that costly turnover, you know, inside your own 30 yard line that gives the Broncos some confidence and puts them in a position where the offense doesn't have to move a lot of yards to put points on the board. If they can avoid stuff like that. And I like the Vikings chances. 
Yeah, and Dobbs and his turnover history are the one thing that concerns you a little bit because they do have playmakers on the other side. I mean, turnovers are random. There's no question about it at times, but also when you have players that are capable of making plays, uh, you know, Patrick Sertan is one of them at the top of the list that you have to be concerned about. I, I saw something that Sean Payton said that I wanted to bring up because for the most part, we've been talking about this team as if they were not going to have Justin Jefferson for a little while longer. And so when we go into these games, we're like, well, okay, you know, Hawkinson's going to have to keep going and Addison and we'll see these matchups. Uh, and we just haven't really even brought up Justin Jefferson much, even though his window is open to return and Sean Payton said that they're preparing as if Justin Jefferson's going to play. Now, I don't think that Sean Payton has moles inside the Vikings organization or whatever. I mean, maybe he does. Like George Payton was here and there were other people uh, who were in that building that went and worked for the Broncos. Uh, George Payton's the Broncos GM. If he used to work with the Vikings as their assistant GM, if people don't know that. Uh, and so maybe, maybe he's got some intel. Maybe he left some uh, video equipment behind us spy on their practice. I don't know. Uh, it's not the Patriots, so probably not. But I just have been under the impression that Justin Jefferson is going to come back maybe after the bye week, that they want him to be 100%. But I also had this thought, as Sean Payton was saying it, like, well, they're not going to tell us which week they're going to put him in, out there, right? Like, they want it to be a surprise. Here's Jefferson. And so I, I guess I, I really do wonder if we're going to see him this week. I, I think the answer is still no. And it's maybe a good little cat and mouse for Kevin O'Connell to not give out any hints about when he's coming back so he can have an element of surprise for the opponent, even if they are preparing for Jefferson. But when that happens, then we get to really feel what it's like to have Josh Dobbs as your quarterback. We've seen over history, backup quarterbacks, journeymen, guys who show up can have these short stints. It's some, sometimes they sustain, sometimes they don't. But what I've wanted to see since he got here and since he you know, beat Atlanta is, all right, what's this really going to look like when they have their full pen of players that we expect them to have, not just for the short term, how dangerous they could be, but also for the long term. What what do you think? What do you think about the idea of of Jefferson potentially coming back? Well, I I mean, it would be interesting if he came back this week. Obviously, I think it would it would you know increase the Vikings' chances. You know, and but you also have to think about like okay, how close to one hundred percent is he? You know, we talked about in uh, in a recent episode. We we talked about how important it is going to be for him to uh, you know wait till he's 100% before he steps back onto the field. Hamstrings are very tricky. You come out too soon, you come back too soon, and you might tweak that thing again, and then all of a sudden you run the risk of maybe tearing it or, or re, you know, re-pulling it, and now all of a sudden you're out for you know five or six more weeks, possibly the rest of the season at that point. So you want to get him back at 100%. Um, but yeah, I, I think he would just add an extra – uh, dynamic element to what we have seen as a really productive offense in his absence, uh, specifically with with Josh Dobbs. And I think with Dobbs's ability to escape and extend plays as well, I think can really be you know enhanced if Justin Jefferson's in the lineup because Justin Jefferson is so instinctive as well. He's he's such a pro's pro. He runs great routes. Obviously, we know all of those things, but. Asking a team to have to cover him 
for an extended period of time because the quarterback is getting outside of the pocket and expanding a play, um, it's just going to make it make them even more dangerous uh, because that's a lot to ask of a secondary to, to try and it's it's a lot to ask of a secondary to guard him at any time, but to guard him on a extended play because the quarterback has the ability to get outside and and uh, make it harder in that way uh, is just going to add an extra element to this offense. So I'm I'm excited to see it. Hopefully JJ can get back soon and uh, we can really see what Josh Dobbs can do in this offense with a um with a full healthy unit. Something that keeps coming into my mind and my mentions as well and my mailbags as well, and I'm not really sure how to quite answer it, is whether the Vikings actually have a better offense with Josh Dobbs. I mean, the scoring output for two games has been better, but I mean, we we just know how, how little of a sample size two games is. Like, there have been two games where Kirk Cousins has crazy great numbers. There's been two game samples where everybody wants Kirk Cousins sent the, in a rocket ship to the moon, uh, you know, because he's been so frustrating to watch and like, look, Carolina and Chicago, there was no reason to think Kirk Cousins was going to turn it around. And then the guy comes out and plays two unbelievable games against the 49ers and the Packers, like who knows, right? So there could always be something different coming around the corner for us. And yet as what you were just talking about, it's not just that he runs, but it's also that when you have like these other receiving weapons who can play off of that. And TJ Hawkinson was talking about it today. It was actually really fun to listen to. He was talking about how when he's out there on a route and he looks back at Josh Dobbs and he's on the move, he has a good sense for is his eyes staying down the field like he's going to, you know, go for a pass or is he, you know, looking like I need you to kind of go block somebody or whatever. They already have this kind of chemistry. And I also ran across a stat that no quarterback has been more valuable by expected points added on the ground than Josh Dobbs this year. Mm. Like there's something here of that running element that matters when it comes to producing points. It might not matter when it comes to yards per pass attempt as much or quarterback rating, although his has been good through these two games or you know whatever other statistic. And yet it's like this, this sort of hidden success that happens when this guy runs that gives you a chance potentially to score more points. But I also am trying hard to fight the forces of overreaction, which is almost yeah. impossible in a situation such as this one. Yeah, it's I'm struggling with the same thing because I keep thinking like, you know, well, that clunker is going to happen at some point. You know, is it going to happen this Sunday? I don't know. But, you know, you you just kind of look ahead at the schedule. They still got a couple of more, you know, really uh, games that you that you look at that you look at on paper and say, OK, yeah, we can see them winning those games. Uh, then you get into a tough, a tough stretch with Cincinnati potentially and two games against Detroit. Um, but. Yeah, you, you feel like that clunker is, is coming, but then, you know, you, you you look at what we've seen so far and it's like, well, he's not he, he's not really giving any sort of indication that that clunker is coming. You know, we're, we're just kind of assuming that it's going to come because law of averages, every team has, you know, a bad game. I mean, Kirk Cousins largely has played well this year before he got hurt. But he had, you know, a game in Carolina where he did not play very well at all. The Vikings still won the game, but Kirk didn't play well at all in that game. He largely has played pretty well in the in the other games uh, this season. So everybody is susceptible to having a bad game. With Josh Dobbs, though, it's just hard to figure out, like, when is that going to be? 
And then if and when it does happen, is that just a blip on the radar or is it something that is going to continue? And that's what makes this whole thing so fascinating because even though he's looked really good in these last two games, we still don't really fully know exactly what this is going to be looking like come you know week 18 when the Vikings are possibly in a position to try and get into the playoffs. You know what's going to happen? is he's going to have his random bad game when Jefferson returns and he's going to want him traded. That's what's going to happen. As uh, It'll be like Dobbs has that two fumble, two interception game. They lose, and it's the first game Jefferson comes back, and then I'll get all the, like, they're one in whatever with Jefferson. They should probably get rid of him and trade him for draft picks. Like, I just, what is, what? What is going on right now? Joe Burrow is going to the locker room with a right wrist injury. What is happening in this football game? I thought this was supposed to be like a game of the year. I'm sorry to scream that out in the middle of Vikings talk, but what is going on uh, with the, the, both great quarterbacks being injured? Pittsburgh's going to easily make the playoffs because everybody else is literally every other quarterback in that division is injured. Collar, it's the damn Thursday night football. Even when we get a good matchup, like tonight, the Bengals and the Ravens, we get a situation where both quarterbacks, both stud, outstanding, amazing quarterbacks get injured in the game. It's so, this is why I hate Thursday night football. This is why I hate it. I can't stand it. You can never have nice things. Folks, I cannot believe how many sports are going on right now. And guess what? There's a way to go to all of them with affordable tickets. My friends, you are going to want to check out Game Time. It is the fast and easy way to buy tickets to any sports event that you want to attend and much, much more. One of the cool parts about Game Time is that they have flash deals on last minute tickets and a low price guarantee, which means if you find something lower in the section or row, they will credit you 100 You also get images of your seat locations, which I love because those maps can be a little confusing. Buy tickets in seconds and have them arrive right there on your phone. It's great. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code INSIDER for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code INSIDER for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price. Guaranteed. No, they should have just put Titans and Jaguars on tonight and just avoided the whole thing together. Oh, man. Man, this is brutal. Uh, Okay, so got a quick ad read, and then I have a very interesting – wow, is Jake Browning going into the game, former Vikings quarterback? Um, That's something. Uh, But uh, I have a really interesting question that somebody asked our friend Eric Eager on Twitter that I want to run by you. But first, I want to remind everyone that a couple weeks from now, I am headed to Las Vegas for the football game there. And if you want to escape the Minnesota December weather, like I will be doing, you can join me at Circa in Las Vegas. I'll be hanging out there doing the podcast for a couple days leading up to the game. You can find me outside at stadium swim, watching the gigantic TV that they have. And there's no good way to describe if you haven't seen it, how big this is. It's an actual like 
football field size uh, television with nothing but sports on it, which is my dream. Uh, they've got heated pools there, even if it's on the cooler side in the 70s when we go out to Vegas. Uh, one of the best places on earth. And there is a special party for Minnesota sports fans, including drink specials and a ticket giveaway that uh, Friday night at Circa. So come meet me there. Go to CircaLasVegas.com. You have to RSVP. So go to where it says huddle up at the overhang bar, which is what's inside uh, Circa, where this party will be, and make a whole weekend of it at Circa. That's what I'm going to do. It is located on the amazing Fremont Street. We're going to have a great Minnesota December getaway to Vegas at Circa. It'll be lots of fun. So book your spot today, and uh, I will see you there. So here is the question that was posed to our pal Eric Eager on Twitter. Someone asked who would be favored on a neutral site, or I guess it could just be Minnesota. Uh, the 2022 Minnesota Vikings with cousins or the 2023 Minnesota Vikings, assuming that they're healthy. So you get Jefferson for both teams uh, with Josh Dobbs, a quarterback. So 2022 Vikings versus 2023 Vikings, which team would be favored to win that game if they were to play each other? Which team would be favored? Huh? You could just do it of like, who would, who do you think would win? Who do you think yeah. would win between last year's Vikings and this year's Vikings? Okay. I actually think the 2023 team would win. And here's why. I think certainly you have a defense that may be lesser in talent from the 2022 team, but the defense is playing much better. And I think it has to do with scheme obviously with what Brian Flores is doing. Um, and also to that point, if you factor in Josh Dobbs being able to throw against the Ed Donatel defense of 2022, I think he would be very successful um, because I don't know if Ed Donatel would be knowing what he was doing out there. So I would take the 2023 Vikings uh, to beat the 2022 Vikings, even though, you know, that team last year won 13 games and won the division. There were just so many games that they that they won based on just circumstance and, you know, having a clutch play by Kirk Cousins um, down the stretch or a big catch by Justin Jefferson. You know, that was also a team that got, you know, when they went up against a really good quality opponent, they didn't just lose. They got obliterated by the Eagles last year. They got obliterated at home by Dallas um, last year as well. And so um, I think when you factor that in, the, the game late in the season at, at Lambeau against a, a, a not very good Packers team where they just kind of laid an egg to, um, when that team lost last year, it just did not look good at all. Whereas this year, you know, a lot of those, they've, they've lost a lot of close games, but they have yet to really, maybe, you know, maybe that Eagles game, you know, for about three quarters, they got, you know, manhandled pretty well, but they still were able to kind of get back into that game and make it interesting at the end. Um, so I think just with the way the 2023 team has played this year, even though the record isn't as good, I think they, if if you match up the two teams together, I think, I think this year's team wins. Uh, Tim bro slice says, does the 2022 Vikings team get the luck from last year? You know what a big part of the luck was though, was last year's schedule was not hard for the Vikings. I mean, this year, the beginning of the, the season schedule, I mean, we talked about it at the beginning of the year where it's at Philly, it's playing 
the the Chiefs. It's playing the 49ers, and uh, we know that. Uh, by the way, it is uh, Jake Browning in the game, the former Vikings quarterback now playing for Cincinnati, just what everybody wanted uh, on Thursday night football, but good luck to him. He's a really, really good dude. So uh, I hope that works out for him against the great defense. Anyway, put that back aside. Uh, so I, I think that like last year, that was a major part of the story that wasn't really talked about a ton was when you looked at a lot of their wins. And I know one was in Buffalo. It was magical. It was incredible. But aside from that, it was Taylor Heineke throwing an interception at the end of a game, Skylar Thompson, then Teddy Bridgewater in a week where he had had a concussion before, and they were without their left tackle, I think. And, you know, the, the, there were uh, several other games where they were playing teams that just weren't that special. Um, Arizona was horrible. Chicago was horrible. So this year, um, I do think that they have put on better showings against average teams and played more competitively. Like they have the huge win against the 49ers. And I would call last week a pretty, pretty big win as well. The running element is massive because Daniel Jones ran all over them. And that would be the comparison is like, if Daniel Jones could run all over them and pass all over them, then Josh Dobbs could too. And if, you know, Garrett Wilson made them look ridiculous last year and a number of other receivers, then Justin Jefferson would make them look ridiculous as well. And the the defensive side of it is just such a huge part of this conversation that, you know, I think that especially with the way that Daniel Hunter is playing, the way the Vikings offense struggled to identify last year blitzes, which they've done way, way better this year, that I, I think Brian Flores is having a field day with last year's version of the offensive line. And it can't be left out of the discussion of how much better the line is and how much better the defense is. I do think this is a stronger team. And that's only with the asterisk if Josh Dobbs doesn't turn into a pumpkin. Because if Josh Dobbs suddenly becomes the version that was happening the last few weeks in Arizona, well, then, you know, that conversation goes out of the window. But uh, I, th I do think this team is, is better than they were last year. And the point differential at this point would also tell you that as well. Yeah, I mean, and it's crazy to think about this team was, this year's team was 0-3 and they were 1-4. and And we were talking about, them selling off players and going into full-on tank mode before the trade deadline. We were speculating about that. And now here we are, like, looking at the way they've played over the last month. And it's like, yeah, this is a pretty good team that is not really showing any signs of slowing down. Now, we'll see what happens on Sunday. But, you know, right now, it's, it's hard to really um, – it's hard to ignore just how well overall they've been playing as a team – you know, even, you know, before Kirk Cousins got hurt and then since Josh Dobbs stepped into that quarterback role, um, it's it's hard to believe, but they they just they look good defensively. They've been really strong and get and seem to be getting a lot better as those guys get settled in to Brian Flores' system. And, you know, so much of last year and last year was fun. Don't get me wrong. Last year's team was fun. The way they were winning games, it was kind of crazy, but. Um, I think that team just when when you really kind of take the the sort of the excitement, the the fandom out of the watching last year's team, you kind of realize they weren't really a 13 win team. They won 13 games, but they were probably more like a nine, maybe a 10 win team at best. And when you look at this year's team, they look to be kind of trending to be kind of a nine, maybe a 10 win team as well. 
and and they're and they're playing better. They're playing better on the defensive side of the ball too. So I think you know when you kind of take all of those things into consideration, it's it's you start to realize that yeah, this is this is a better team than last year's squad. And we will see how this opinion holds up over the coming weeks because right. that's how we feel right now. And the there's we're going to get more information as we go forward. Uh, I want to circle back and talk about Russell Wilson specifically. He is playing in a version of Russell Wilson that looks nothing like what he looked like in his prime. He was one throw away, several inches away from being a two-time Super Bowl champion and also had several other years that his team went into the playoffs as having potential to go uh, deep and, and was a Super Bowl caliber team. A great quarterback who's had a great career. My question is about Russell Wilson, because I don't think this is ever going to be way better. So we kind of know like what Russell Wilson's career is, even when we're watching the later stages, unless he totally surprises me and starts throwing for 350 yards again. But I, I doubt it. Um, is he a Hall of Famer to you? Oh, um, I'm going to say yes. Although they always, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, if you have to think about it, then maybe the answer is probably no. But I'm going to say yes, because I think there was enough of, um, you know, the first nine, the first nine years of Russ's career, he was just, I mean, you just look at the win-loss record and the numbers and just how good those Seattle teams were, even after, you know, the, 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 those couple of years after the Legion of Boom kind of disbanded and, and kind of fell apart and really kind of became Russell Wilson's team. He was still really good and they were winning still and going to the playoffs and very competitive. Um, so it's, it's hard to really ignore that. It's, I guess I kind of look at it as, you know, just switching sports a little bit. I think about it like, like, Joe Maurer's career with the Minnesota Twins, where you look at Joe Maurer as a catcher, he was great, like best catcher in Major League Baseball. And you look at the numbers offensively as a hitter and the gold gloves uh, defensively. Um, he was one of the great catchers of all time. But then you factor in, OK, when he moves to first base, the offensive numbers aren't quite as good. First base is not as um, not as premium a defensive position. So it doesn't get held as in in high regard. Although I would argue Maurer was a pretty good defensive first baseman as well. Should have won a Gold Glove one of those years too, but he got robbed, by the way. Um, but I, I think you kind of you kind of look at those careers as kind of the same. Where the first the first decade of that career is just fantastic and and Hall of Fame worthy. Um, but then you kind of wonder like, are the last you know four or five six years going to be held? held against him uh, when it comes down to, to voting. I, I think he will get in. Um, I think if he can find a way to get like one more like winning season where the Broncos make the playoffs and maybe make a little bit of noise, however it gets done, even if he doesn't look amazing doing it, um, I think that will help his cause. And, you know, I think he'll eventually find a way to get into Canton. You know, the first 10 years of his career, it looks like he's going to be first ballot to me, but it might be a situation where he'll get in eventually, but it might take a few years before it um, that time actually comes after he retires. 
So I've got the Pro Football Reference Hall of Fame monitor up here, which does a very good job of combining a player's statistics and accomplishments together because, I mean, still, let's be honest, those those Hall of Fame voters are going to factor a Super Bowl as much as you might not like it because Dan Marino didn't win one. But if you're a fringy quarterback for the Hall of Fame and you have a Super Bowl, it's going to enhance your case. And uh, I'll give you where he stands in relation to the other quarterbacks of kind of the era-ish. Some he came in a little later, but the era-ish. Clearly behind these guys, Brady, Manning, Rodgers, Breeze. Mm -hmm. Matt Ryan is surprisingly high on this list from the Hall of Fame monitor. I think he's another one people debate, but according to this, at least, uh, he shouldn't be much of a debate. That's a little surprising to me. Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers. Those are the guys who are clearly ahead of Russell Wilson. In his ballpark is Eli Manning, Matthew Stafford, Cam Newton. And those are kind of, and then it's like a pretty big drop off to the next most recent quarterback. So if he's in the ballpark, according to the hall of fame monitor, which is not gospel of course, but is just one metric way to kind of figure out uh, where it stands. If he's in the same range as a Matthew Stafford and Cam Newton, that to me puts him a little bit on the fringe without another, as you said, like trip to the AFC championship or trip to the Super Bowl or just Pro Bowl caliber season. If he's just grinding out like bad seasons where he's going to throw for 3,400 yards and, you know, what I saw Adam Schefter tweeting like, oh, he's so much different this year like getting 16 touchdowns, like, wait, is 16 touchdowns a lot, man? Like, I don't think so. Maybe if it was uh, 1996, by this point of having 16 touchdowns would be pretty good. Uh, but I think what's similar of all those quarterbacks is that at one point you could make an argument that they are upper echelon. But those other ones we were talking about, Matt Ryan, and then above that, Phillip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger, and then, of course, the Brady Manning tier and the Rodgers, is it, it just goes on for longer, their peak, and there isn't as much of a, of a dip as he had. I, I think that those are fair, comparable quarterbacks of Stanford, uh, Stanford, Stafford and uh, Cam Newton. And I don't think either one of those guys belong in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I wonder the, if the Matt Ryan thing, I wonder if his MVP that he won in 2016 is maybe a little bit of, because Russ has never won an MVP. He's been in the conversation before, but he's never actually won one. And I wonder if like Matt Ryan winning that MVP in 2016 is kind of like what kind of puts him over, over Russell Wilson in that regard, because you, you look at, I mean, Matt Ryan's made one Super Bowl appearance. Russell Wilson's actually made two. And so, you know, the numbers are kind of similar um, production wise during that really good stretch for Russ. So, yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting conversation. I think I think if I'll say yes that he that he does get in, but like I said before, if he does, I think it's it's gonna be one of those things where he's gonna be eligible for probably three, four, five years before I think we start getting some traction on him getting in. I think it's gonna take a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. And when you look at, uh, just to go even deeper into the statistical weeds, when you look at his weighted career approximate value by pro football reference, he's much closer to Roethlisberger, which I think is probably, I do think he's a, maybe a little bit ahead of 
of Matt Stafford and Cam Newton. If you were ranking those three, I would probably put Wilson first. But you know what might hurt him is when they won the Super Bowl, it was so much centric around their defense and the Legion of Boom and so forth. And these are the nuances that you know kind of end up determining what we think about these discussions. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, there's some, you know, I mean, Eli Manning may end up doing it as well uh, for those Super Bowls, but also the early Manning's a great comparable for Wilson because the first half of Manning's career is I will argue all day long. It's a great first half of his career, but what happened was the league changed midway through his career. So those statistics that he's putting up in 05, 06, 07, like those look terrible by today's standards because that was 20 years ago. And by those standards, he was routinely statistically among the best quarterbacks, but it was just a different league at that point as far as passing the football. Anyway, uh, staying with a little bit of the Bronco theme, when the Vikings play a random team that has a great history, we got to talk about our favorite historical players. And every once in a while, I see that tweet come up. That's like, Hey, football fans could just sit around and talk about random players all day. And I'm like, hell yeah, we can. So let's do that. Uh, I asked you to make your list, a simple one of your five favorite Denver Broncos of your lifetime, Manny. So let's fire it up. Who are your five favorite Denver Broncos? Okay. So counting down from five to one, and this was actually really hard because when you look at the Broncos history, especially like in the nineties, when Mike Shanahan uh, became the head coach and, and uh, you know, they had the great zone running scheme and so many running backs to I mean, Terrell Davis obviously was, was the best one out of the bunch, but so many other just random running backs being, you know, so productive in random seasons. So I went the route of a guy who didn't play much with the Broncos. He was with the Broncos for a while and was an assistant, assistant coach, I'm going to go number five is Gary Kubiak. And I'm going to tell you why. One, great pick. One, because Gary Kubiak was, like we've talked about, was just the godfather of the zone running scheme. And I figure, you know, if I'm going to have, if I'm going to pick like, Oh, I'll pick Alandis Gary because he had a really fun season with the Broncos. Or I'll pick Mike Anderson, Clinton Portis, all these guys. And I'm thinking, I can't just, I can't bunch all of those guys together. So why don't I just take the guy who was really responsible for those guys being productive running backs uh, during the late 90s and into the early 2000s? So Gary Kubiak is number five. And, you know, he was John Elway's backup for a number of years back in the 80s and into the early 90s and uh, eventually became uh a uh, an assistant coach under Mike Shanahan and then later on obviously won the Super Bowl as the head coach of the Broncos uh in 2015 so Gary Kubiak is number five uh number four is a guy who was um I think really well liked uh around the league and really well respected and really got to showcase his talent once Peyton Manning started throwing him the football and it wasn't Tim Tebow anymore and that's uh the late Demarius Thomas who was really 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 good really productive you look at those years where Peyton Manning was his quarterback and you look at those numbers they are outrageous he's like one of the best wide receivers in the entire NFL and uh, a big guy big physical guy but could also run like a deer as well uh, a really good really good wide receiver and and tragically his life was was cut short 
uh, just a couple of years ago at, at such a young age. But Demarius Thomas is uh, is my number four. Love that. Yeah, I, I like that you're going a little bit different here. Of course, you mentioned Gary Kubiak. You're going to get no pushback from me. I mean, I love that style of offense and that style of offense, which you know starts with Shanahan and even goes back to you know the San Francisco days and so forth. But they really perfected it. I mean, it, he just had such an ability to make the most of everybody. I mean. Brian Greasy had a great year there. Jake Plummer had a great year. Like his his legacy with the Broncos um, is is really something. And as far as uh, Demarius Thomas goes, probably one of the most underappreciated players. Like sometimes when a, a great player ends up getting paired with an all time great quarterback, we just go like, well, of course you should have all those yards and so forth. And I like that you also stretched beyond just that '90s era as well into that section of Broncos history. So who is your top three? Number three is a guy that might kind of surprise you that he's on this list. I'm going to go with nose tackle Greg Cragen. And here's why. For only one reason. That guy, if you, if I, I challenge all the listeners and the viewers of this, of this podcast, go look up the Super Bowl highlight video of Super Bowl 24, where the poor Denver Broncos are just getting annihilated by Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and the San Francisco 49ers. 55 to 10 was the final in the Superdome. And Greg Cragen was mic'd up. as the Broncos nose tackle. He's mic'd up for this game. And there's a stretch in the second quarter where Montana's just throwing. He's just throwing darts all over the Broncos defense. And poor Greg Cragen is just battling. He's in the trenches, man, going just going toe-to-toe with his great 49ers offensive line. And he's just... He's breathing hard and he's just, you know, Montana throws a 20 yard pass at Jerry Rice and you hear Greg Cragen just go, what's happening, man? What's going on? Like, come on, guys, we got to keep going. We got to, you know, he's on the, he's on the sideline saying, come on, we got to keep going. We got to keep fighting. This game's not over yet. We got a whole second half to play. We got to keep fighting. And I, I just always appreciated that, that that guy was just out there battling and playing his ass off. And in a, in a blowout game where the, the the team as a whole was just completely overmatched, and uh, and Greg Cragen was a was a pretty good player in the late '90s, or I'm sorry, in the late '80s into the early '90s, he was a Pro Bowler and All Pro uh, nose tackle for for a Broncos defense that was pretty good. That included guys like Steve Atwater and whatnot too. So Greg Cragen is uh, number three on my list. Uh, you you kind of went rogue a little bit there with that pick, but. Uh, I w- it's funny because when you said Broncos nose tackle, I was like Keith Trailer. Like I thought you were gonna because <laughs> I Keith Trailer, you know, and he and I think he did it for Chicago, but had one of the coolest interceptions uh, of all time, where he ran it back for a touchdown. And there was another option too, which was Ted Washington, also was another guy who played nose tackle for them, which was very likable. And there's a lot of great defensive linemen uh, in their history who deserve to be on a list. All right, top two. Uh, number two is Ed McCaffrey. Ed McCaffrey was fantastic. And part of the reason why I have him on this list too is because he's on my one of my favorite teams of all time, the 94 49ers. Didn't play a lot for that team that won the Super Bowl, but uh, he then went on to the, when Mike Shanahan, who was the offensive coordinator of that 49ers team in 94, went on after that season to become the head coach of the Broncos. Ed McCaffrey went with him, and then he ended up being a really good, productive uh, wide receiver for the Broncos for for a number of years 
And uh, obviously his son, Christian, is uh, one of the most dynamic players in the NFL today. And uh, so Ed McCaffrey is uh, number two, a really, really good wide receiver uh, for the Broncos in the late 90s. And now your number one options are all over the place. You've yeah. got a lot of players that you left off of your list so far. Who are you putting on it? I'm going to put my guy, Shannon Sharp. Uncle Shannon, Shay Shay. I'm going to have him number one on my list. The guy was an, un, you know, he was a great Hall of Fame caliber tight end. Um, obviously got into the Hall of Fame, won three Super Bowls, two with the Broncos and one in, in Baltimore. And, and still in a, in a weird way, Caller, I still feel like he doesn't really get appreciated enough still for as great as he was. Um, but we've seen so many, you know, great tight ends come into the league you know, since he, since he retired that I think sometimes he gets forgotten a little bit, um, which is hard to think because he's, he's all over the media now doing stuff for ESPN and first take and all that stuff. So we see, we see Shannon Sharp everywhere, but I don't know if younger people really appreciate how great of a tight end he was. And if, when you factor in the era that he played in, you go and look at his numbers, his numbers are pretty good. They don't really blow you away, but you also have to remember the time in which he played where tight ends didn't really rack up a lot of pass catching numbers in the 90s. If you plug him into today's NFL, that guy is kicking all sorts of ass in the NFL uh, in today's league. So um, Shannon Sharp, number one, all time trash talker as well. Just just a great player. There's that there's that famous uh, clip of him on the sideline. The Broncos are in Foxborough blowing out the Patriots, and he's saying, "Call the National Guard, call the ambulance, call all these people because we are killing the Patriots right now." So, uh, Shannon Sharp, all time great tight end, great player, great personality as well. Uh, is number one on my list. And uh, Shannon Sharp, if uh, anybody ever gets a chance to do so, go check out his Hall of Fame speech because the TV personality that you think that you know with Shannon Sharp, who's over the top and funny and everything else, watch this speech. It's incredible. To me, it's the best speech ever given th that I've ever seen uh, in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, when he... Um, when he, uh, <laughs> uh, they're giving you a hard time in the, in the comments. Uh, no, Manny yeah. did see John Elway play. This is favorite list. Not the best yeah. of all time. It's the favorites. This and and by the guy. way, and by the way, I was in Canton in 2004 to watch John Elway get inducted into the hall of fame. I was there in person with a bunch of Broncos fans. We were there for Carl Eller, my stepdad's former teammate, but John Elway, Barry Sanders all got in the same time. So I know who John Elway is. He's, he was amazing. I know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're just if we're just going favorites, uh, your list is very unique. And I tried to be a little bit, but maybe I went a little more mainstream. But you're right about Shannon Sharp. When he was at the end, toward the end of his career, he was being talked about on broadcast as the greatest tight end ever play. Uh, and it's I think it's actually easy to forget that sometimes when someone does become a broadcaster is that that is their current how people think of them. And they lose a little bit of that. It's like when you watch, I don't know, Terry Bradshaw or Jimmy Johnson year in and year out. You're like, actually, this guy, even though as goofy as his takes may seem right now, was one of the greatest coaches of all time. And, and maybe that's not always reflective in uh, 30 second hot spewing takes on television. Uh, for me, I also went a little bit off the board with my number five pick, and that is Jason Elam, their kicker. Mm. And I'll tell you why. 
because I was watching the game when he kicked the 61 yard field goal. And at the time, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I know it's in Denver or maybe it was actually on the road. He actually may have been on the road. It was a bomb. And I, and yeah, kickers do that all the time now, but they didn't then like when he was at his peak uh, as their kicker. So I always thought that he was like their secret weapon kind of all, if they were at the 35 yard line, it was kind of like having Jason Tucker that Jason Elam could come out and was one of the best kickers. So that's my off the wall pick a little bit. Uh, number four for me, I'll just give you a salute. Terrell Davis, man, we can't leave Terrell Davis off of this list, but I also really enjoyed when Gary Kubiak would talk about Terrell Davis and how great he was uh, when Gary was uh, a member of the Vikings. That was cool. He'd be like, well, you know, we had this guy, Terrell Davis kind of remind me of Delvin Cook. It was pretty, it was pretty cool, but Terrell Davis was just so fast, so powerful, so perfect for that fit uh, of that offense that I had to include him on my list. Again, I'm going a little, I'm going down the fairway here from number three, Steve Atwater, yeah. uh, another one of the coolest players ever. One of the hardest hitters would be arrested, put in jail. They throw <laughs> away the key. If he was playing today, I understand that. I'm sure he would have had to adjust his game, but he got known so much for the hard hitting that maybe some of the other parts were left out of his game, but he was a dynamic player. He could come to the line of scrimmage. He could make plays on the football. One of the best all around players and just the aesthetic, just the vibe of Steve Atwater was so intimidating. I think that uh, he had one of those like bigger than just the game, you know, now I did include John Elway because Manny, I enjoyed the heck out of John Elway uh, that he had these like almost three careers where it was like the very early John Elway, where he's this diva that is always going to be known for forcing his way, not to be drafted by Baltimore to the Super Bowl losses where it's Elway's not clutch. He can't win the big game. And then uh, to this transition point with Wade Phillips, where there's some down years and they're just not that great of a team to then Mike Shanahan coming in, but there was nobody and still probably not that's ever played other than Brady, maybe Mahomes, where you go, it's it's not over. No matter what happens, no matter what the score is, no matter how far they have to go, every game is not over. If you're naming the top five most clutch quarterbacks of all time, John Elway's name is brought up right up there with uh, Tom Brady. It was so much fun to watch him play. And I would just ask people not to just go to his pro football reference page and be like, what? He only had a 70 something quarterback rating. Football is different. And I actually looked at this from like 94 to 98. He was like top five in quarterback rating as the league yeah. was, was changing. Uh, and it was becoming easier to throw the football. Number one is very hard. Number one is very hard. I thought about going with an offensive lineman just because we have spent so much time in our lives talking about offensive linemen on the show. I thought it might be right to pick like Tom Nalen or something uh, for the Broncos. But I, I went with a little bit off of the, the beaten trail here, but another guy who I just really loved how he played the game. One of the most explosive, exciting, fun cornerbacks of all time. And one of the great trades in history was the Denver Broncos acquiring champ Bailey. I mean, they're like outside of Deion Sanders, how many corners can you name ever that you were like watching for them? 
I can't wait to see this guy play. Champ Bailey was uh, one of them. So he ends up as my favorite Denver Bronco ever in my extremely chalk list that includes a kicker. So your reaction, man. I love it. Champ Bailey was just amazing, man. And he was, he was a guy that, you know, at the university of Georgia was, was a kind of a two-way player too. He, he um, gets forgotten about a little bit, you know, cause Charles Woodson was playing at the same time at, at Michigan. And he was kind of viewed as a two-way player would play some wide receiver a little bit, but Champ Bailey did a little bit of that at Georgia too. And, Champ Bailey, the one the, the play I always remember is the pick six against Brady in the playoffs, um, where the, the Patriots are down down inside the five yard line and Champ Bailey houses it 99 yards in that uh, in that divisional. I think it was that divisional game in the, in in uh, 2005. And that was that was an interesting time too, because the Patriots were coming off of winning three titles in four years. And so that was kind of a play that that signaled the end of that first sort of that first Patriots dynasty of um, all those Super Bowl championships. So yeah, Champ Bailey was great. John Elway, man, like if, like you said, you can't go and look at the numbers, the pro football reference numbers, uh, particularly like in the 90s, the, the early to mid 90s. If you look at how good he was just in the last couple of years of his career, I mean, the guy was retired at 38 39 years old and he was at the top of his game he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league in 1998 and just um absolutely obliterated the atlanta falcons in that super bowl which ended up being his curtain call um john elway was just physic the physical tools the ability to you know to move around in the pocket and just had a rocket of an arm um and just tough too i mean he you know, he withstood a lot of, um, you know, physical punishment in the late, late eighties and the early nineties, when even with those Broncos teams that were going to the Super Bowl in the late eighties, that were pretty good. You know, he got beat up a lot in those Super Bowls, man. And he hung in there and ended up still having a, a great career and just one of the, one of the all time greatest. And I, like I said, very proud that I was able to to be there in Canton for his um, hall of fame enshrinement, him and Barry Sanders. It was great. Except you put a nose tackle on your top five over uh, John Elway. So, um, all right, before we wrap up, I want to give my prize picks. And if you remember, prizepicks.com uh, is a sponsor of the show. We always take a look at those prize picks where we pick more or less on player yardage totals and other things, sometimes including touchdowns or field goals. And if you go to prizepicks.com slash purple, use the code purple, first deposit match up to $100. So tell me, Manny, if you agree or disagree with my prize picks for this week. I am going with more than 232.5 yards for Josh Dobbs passing. Would you agree or disagree with more than 232? Oh, no, I'm actually sorry. I went with less, less than 232.5 yards. Would you agree with uh, fewer than 232 yards passing for Josh Dobbs? Yeah, I would agree. I think it's going to be less than that. And I don't think it means that he's not going to be productive because obviously he can be very productive with his legs as well. So, yeah, I think it'll be less than that. 
more, I went with Russell Wilson, more than 206.5 yards passing. I know that I ran through uh, Russell Wilson and how rare it's been to go over 200 yards. I think Denver will have to play from behind, though, and they'll have to play a little catch up and they will struggle to run the football and will have to pass. So Wilson goes over 206.5. I will say, yep, I agree with that. He'll go over, but not that much over probably around like 220. All right. So uh, we'll agree on both of those more than 206.5. And with TJ Hawkinson, I went with more than 56.5. Now I am being asked to add a kicker. So I'm going to add a kicker uh, in a second, uh, more or less than uh, 56.5 for TJ Hawkinson. I I think he just keeps rolling here, especially if Jefferson is not back. Yeah, I think Josh Dobbs has really kind of found him as a as a really reliable, you know, sort of safety blanket as he did last week against New Orleans. I think uh, 56.5. Yeah, I think I think uh, Hawkinson will go more than that. Okay. upon request, I will add Greg Joseph more or less points than six point five for Greg Joseph. That's very hard. That means probably I mean, that means either a field goal and four extra points or two field goals and an extra point. I don't know. More more or less 6.5 points for the kicker. It's a really good line. I would say I'll say more. I'll say more cuz they'll probably kick a couple of field goals and then, you know, the Vikings will find themselves in the end zone I think at some point in the game. So I'll, I'll say more. I will also go more. And here's the crazy thing about prize picks. The entry for this, the entry fee, $20 to win 200 if I get all of them. And, uh, you know, we've done okay. We've had fun with that throughout the year. Prizepicks.com slash purple. Manny, great stuff as always. Tremendous uh, Denver Broncos list and discussion. And uh, get well soon to Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow because the football carnage of quarterbacks this year has been freaking outrageous and uh, i hope it does not continue so thanks to you thanks to everybody who watched remember because i completely blew it with the audio from the round table i will be live on youtube on friday night previewing the vikings broncos and taking all of your questions we'll do it fans only style we haven't done that in a little while so i will do entirely just chatting uh with everybody then make sure you join and we will catch you next time